You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this episode is hosted by Stacy Yvonne. In this episode, we feature the cast and the crew of the Star series Hightown, now approaching its second season and premieres October 17th on Stars. We're excited to present to you the following in this episode. Writer and creator Rebecca Cutler, executive producer Gary Lennon, and cast members from the series, which includes Monica Raymond, Riley Vocal, James Badgedale, Amory Nolasco, Atkins Estimund, and Don Norwood. In this second season of Hightown, the picture-perfect version of the summer on Cape Cod clashes with its off-season reality. Jackie's achieving her dreams of being a real cop and is out to do some good in this world. He's thrust immediately into the crime wave of a deadly flooding cape. Jackie is laser focused on bringing down drug dealer Frankie Cuevas and the man Jackie holds responsible for the death of her best friend, Junior. There's so much going on in season two of Hightown, and we are pleased to present to you all of the players involved in this fun-filled episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast, hosted by Stacey Yvonne. Hi, Stacey. Hello. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you? I like your backdrop. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I like the show. <laughs> and you. I wanted to talk to you specifically about how how you came up with the idea. Why was this the story that you wanted to tell? It's really two parts to that question. One is like a lifetime of going to Cape Cod, of <laughs> dealing with addiction and recovery in my own life. Um marrying a man from Cape Cod whose father uh, was a fishery service agent, which is the Jackie's job in the show. So all that was kind of the background. And then the one minute inspiration, I was literally just like driving down the freeway and I got the idea of like, like a vision almost of Jackie, of this Latina lesbian fishery service agent living year round in Provincetown, you know, a party girl kind of on the decline and I was like, I'll figure out a murder. I'll figure out something. But that's a character and that's a world. And so those two things came together and I just started from there. Um, what was the decision like to make Jackie a queer woman? And was it hard to kind of sell that? It, honestly, and I'm not being cute. It was not a decision. It came to me like that. Um, you know, I didn't write this like in development for anyone. I wrote this all on my own. So I was working on Gotham at the time and I just decided I wanted to write something really just wild. And I really thought, oh, this is just for me, it, you know, it'll may, or maybe it'll get me my next writing job, but I never thought for a second that I was going to sell it. So I didn't hold anything back because I just thought, well, this is for me. So, um, 
But then when Jerry Bruckheimer TV read the script and they loved it and there was never any talk about changing it. I mean, it just never came up. So, and I just kept waiting for someone to say like, you can't have so much sex or you can't have so much swearing or you can't have so much drugs and no one ever said it. So. <laughs> I love that. You just kind of keep going until they tell you to stop. <laughs> <Keep your head laughs> <down. laughs> so Jackie in and of herself, for me was kind of a very polarizing character. Um, there are times where I just wanted to strangle her. And then there are times where I just wanted to kind of hold her to my bosom, you know. Um, was it intentional to kind of have her be so complicated, kind of an anti-hero such where you don't know whether to root for her or to like, you know, hope that she stays in rehab? <laughs> right. Um, it was certainly intentional that she's very flawed and selfish and um and flies by the seat of her pants to the point where sometimes she makes things worse um that was definitely intentional i think you know i think it's a litmus test of the person watching if they get frustrated with her or not i personally don't because i like messy people but i've heard that from other people that they get almost really frustrated so i think that Hopefully she always charms you back because her instincts are really good. But uh, yeah, I can see. And, you know, addicts are frustrating. There is a lot of cyclical behavior that keeps happening. And you're like, really again, you know? So I think that is baked into her character that she likes to ram her head into the wall kind of over and over and over again. And that can be frustrating, but I think it's such a great ensemble that hopefully somebody is always doing the right thing when somebody else is doing the wrong thing. So I, yeah, yeah. I really like that dynamic that she has with Ray because um, kind of in a typical buddy cop scenario, you have, you know, the straight man and then the kind of firecracker and they're both firecrackers yeah. <laughs> and they both explode yeah. all over each other. Um, when we, are we going to learn more about Jackie's background, her past, kind of what makes her the woman that she is today? Yes, actually, we do a lot of exploring of her backstory in season two, and we will meet some family members and see her childhood home. And I think you will start to understand a lot of, of how she wound up the way she is. Now, we see that for season two, she's really has this thing about avenging Junior's death. And do you think that that is primarily about avenging Junior's death? Because there is a point where he kind of betrays her, or mm -hmm. is that more about kind of assuaging her own guilt? I would say it's a little of both, but I think in many ways, you know, she puts down, by the end of season one, she's put down the drugs and the alcohol. And when we pick up in season two, it's like, what else, what is she using now to sort of fill the void? And I think um, like Ray in season one, I think work and ambition and thrills and making a case is a lot of what she is a lot about filling that thing in herself. That does not mean she doesn't truly love Junior, but I think, I think a big part of that is guilt. Yes. But also that, that thing I need to feel, I need to do something to push down pain. So you know, we'll see how long that works as a solution for her. And um, in terms of her personal relationships, you know, we saw kind of the disaster that was her trying to get Devon back last season. Are we going to see more kind of romantic uh, aspirations for her coming into the second season? 
Yeah, you know, I think she actually has kind of a grown-up relationship to season two. I think it's it has a different vibe. It's not just one night stands all over the place. I think certainly in elements of her life, Jackie has grown a lot in, you know, over season one into season two. Um but I like to say, but all the characters, no matter what your outside circumstances is, they always bring themselves with them. So she's still Jackie. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> exactly. Now, um, is there anything that the audience should be on the lookout uh, in particular for season two? Um, well, I know you didn't get it, but I will tell you that episode five is bananas and um a lot of things change, a lot of explosion. So I would definitely keep an eye out for that episode. Um, Luis Guzman comes in as Jorge, which is Frankie's cousin, and he's really dynamic and explosive. And, you know, there's a ton of role reversals between season one and season two. Everybody's in kind of different circumstances. So I think it's, it's really interesting to see your favorite characters in totally different circumstances. And I love the bravery of that. You know, when you kind of have these serials, you get used to one person doing their one specific thing. And there really is a shakeup with each of these people kind of taking these different paths and figuring out how it informs them and how it grows them. Um, yeah. Do you have any, I know it's still early, but do you have kind of an overarching thing? Like if this were to go into a season three, a season four, do you kind of have an idea or do you just kind of take it as it comes? I have an idea for season three, season four <laughs> feels like that would be a long way away. So I don't need to think about that, but yeah, season three, I definitely have some ideas for, and um, you know, I think these characters have a lot a really rich interior life and are really ballsy and there's just a lot of fun to be had with them. So I think I would love to keep going. Well, I look forward to it and I look forward to more people seeing the show. Um, season two from what I've seen already is amazing and so much fun and so like, you know, mind exploding. So I am just very excited to uh, see the reception and for it to do well. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too, Stacey. Mm -hmm. Bye. Hey, Stacey, nice to meet you. Hi, Gary, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Wonderful. So um, I have, so you serve as executive producer on the show, and I wanna know kind of how you got involved with Hightown. Uh, let's see, um, I was, I had an overall deal of stars. I had spent like six years on power and they were looking for me to find another show to get involved with. And Rebecca had already written the pilot script and she had partnered with Jerry Bruckheimer, JBTV, and they were going out trying to set it up and it didn't find a home. And it was just, it was sort of, you know, over about it for a year, it was out there and no one was picking it up. And an executive at Stars read it and liked it and then thought it might be something that I'd be interested in and brought it to me. I read it. I really liked the script. I met with Rebecca and uh, Christiane Reed from uh, Bruckheimer TV. We talked about what, you know, cause sometimes someone can write a pilot script and it could be very good, but you don't know where the show, what's the show, where's it going? And so we had a really nice lunch. We talked about that. And then um, we set it up together at Stars. That's very cool. I noticed that with um, power and with Hightown, and you did some producing on Euphoria too, is that right? 
I did. My job on Euphoria as an executive producer was very different. And your role as an executive producer always changes with every job that you do. And with Euphoria, for me, it was um, my job on that show was basically that I was the person who recognized that it was in Israeli format. And if you haven't seen the Israeli version of Euphoria, you should. It's beautiful. Oh, wow. Very, very different. More like Itumama Tambien, sort of like the film. But it's very lyrical, very beautiful, messy, kids in trouble. But I was brought that project by a woman named Hadas Moses, who's an Israeli producer. <clears throat> Excuse me. And everyone had passed on it, by the way. Everybody. We went everywhere to try to sell it, and no one bought it. And then, um, so my job on Euphoria was just selling them the format of Euphoria. And then I didn't have anything to do with the making of the show because I then went to power. I was on power for six years as that was in development and all of that. So that's my role on Euphoria. Well, you mentioned that it was a hard sell or it was no one was buying it. And on paper, that's a hard sell. When you talk about addicts, children, <laughs> that yeah. kind of thing. And it's a very hard show, but it's also fantastic. What is it that you see in these types of stories that is intriguing? When we talk about addiction, we talk about the, uh, the drug culture and the business yeah. behind it, all of that. Yeah, you know, I'm so glad you asked that question, uh, Stacey. And I'll tell you, it's very personal to me um, that when I saw Euphoria, the Israeli version, or when I went to try to sell it, I, I made sure that the buyers knew that I wasn't a, um, a tourist among this world, but I was a native. And I said to them, when I pitched them the show, I said, I am one of those children. And if you know a little bit about my background, I'm attracted to these kinds of stories because I come from, <clears throat> um, my parents were both dead by the time I was 12. You know, I had brothers who were addicts who went to prison. I was, um, I'm sober a very long time. I got sober in my 20s. Um, and um, so the stories about recovery and addiction and, and, you know, young people having sex and worlds being messy and children, you know, behaving like adults way too young, I identify with that because I was one of those kids. Um, and um, so I know the pain, I know the regret, I know the misery. I also know the aspiration. I know those kids' hopes and their dreams. And so those stories really resonate with me. Um, and I want to continue telling them. And I know that, I mean, I'm a person who I personally, you know, when I was young, never saw my story told. And so when I saw Euphoria, that excited me. And when I read Rebecca's script and I saw a Latinx lesbian, I I'm, I'm queer as well. I was like, oh, let's tell this lesbian Latinx story. Let's get on up in there, you know? <laughs> yeah, I really like that. And that um, that's one thing I asked Rebecca. I was like, when you have this lesbian lead, is that a tough sell to kind of put out there? It's because she's very, very out. She's not confused about it. She knows exactly what she wants, you know, in that manner. And it's, it's very cool. I really like the idea of it being, I guess, kind of not autobiographical, but gleaned from personal experience is and you can see the empathy in all of these stories whether it's euphoria whether it's high town whether it's power you can see the empathy where these are human characters is there a part of developing that that is cathartic yes absolutely another great question you're good <laughs> yes very much so you know when i read um when i when i what i i came to power the second season um and um and my entree to that story was the character of Tommy because I felt like he was my brother. I had seen my brother. My brother had an eighth grade education. He was a street dude. <clears throat> he's, current, he's dead. He died young. 
But I thought, oh, I know these people. I've lived with them. I understand them. I, I know I know this. And the same thing with um, when you're writing, you know, like Hightown or even Power. Yes, it's cathartic because I got to do things with my brother, Jim, in real life that I mean, in, in story that I never got to do in real life through the use of Tommy, you know, um, and you get to heal. It's a healing experience. You know, I believe that really, you know, there's a beautiful quote by Thornton Wilder that says real art is the desire to tell your secret and hide it at the same time. And so if you've ever read anything original by me or a script that I'm writing, I'm telling you something about my family, about my brother, about my neighbor, about myself, but I'm dressing it up in the guise of another character. But trust me, I'm telling you something about me or my life experience. That's the most fun. It's the healing process. For me, writing is healing. Well, that's beautiful. I absolutely love that perspective on it. Um, is there anything that you would like the audience to kind of look forward to with season two? Anything to be on the lookout for? <laughs> yeah, I say season two is um, a lot about be careful for what you wish for. Because sometimes when you get what you want, it loses its value. Um, and so, you know, uh, and I also think to look forward to unlike alliances, unlikely alliances between characters, you know, sometimes you find your hero in the strangest places. That's awesome. I love both of those. <laughs> so I am very excited for this next season. And yeah, I'm excited for more people to be able to see it. So thank, thank you, you so Stay much, Gary. I just want to say thank you for your questions because they were actually my favorite of the day. Wonderful. Uh, thank you. Well, this is a great project. And so I was looking forward to speaking with you. So I'm so glad that I got the time. And yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Hello, you guys. How are you today? Hi, Stacy. How are you? Good. Well, I am great. I love this show. It is a very good time. And um, I especially love the dynamic between Jackie and Ray. And normally when you kind of deal with, you know, unconventional buddy cop movies, you have kind of the firecracker and then you have the match. And I find that Jackie and Ray are both self-igniting firecrackers <laughs> that often explode into each other's orbits. How do you uh, go about kind of forming that relationship and that dynamic between the two? I like that metaphor. That's great. Like we're like we're we're fireworks, baby. Self-igniting <laughs> matches. I don't know. I think you know I, what I love so much about Ray and Jackie's relationship is that I keep finding myself. I, I kind of talk in images with them, and like as much as they want to punch each other in the face, they also really want to like hug each other at the same time. So like both of those things are operating right. And this, it's turned into this very special relationship because I think that we see ourselves in the other person in some ways. And um, he's the only, Ray's the only, well, one out of two people in my life that I feel like I can actually let my guard down and be vulnerable with because he understands the pain and I know that he won't judge me for where I'm at. How about you, James? I don't judge you for where you're at, mm -hmm. yes. ever. Um, 
and I, and I know you don't judge me. I, it's, it is this weird push and pull that we, we've found. And, and the beautiful thing about it is that, yeah, it's there in the writing, but I think Monica and I are finding it in, in our lives. And it's so fun to do these scenes with her because I think, I don't know what they have in the editing room. I think they got 10 different versions every time we do it. You know, it's, it's very alive and there's uh, this push and pull and, you know, yeah, we're self-igniting, we'll ignite each other and we'll let that playfulness exist, but that's, that's real and that's visceral. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to capture on camera. So I wanted to ask you, Monica, um, as an openly bisexual woman, how does it feel to play an open bisexual character and um, just kind of be that representative and kind of be that voice. What What's that experience like? Yeah, I'm just gonna um, just clarify for you here. Um, I identify as queer and the character Jackie Quinones is lesbian on the show. Um, so it's been really wonderful and my honor to be able to represent my community I feel very lucky. I don't know if I'll ever have the opportunity again, but to to also play play a character like that where it's not about the identity, it's really about the story that's on the page and sort of her mission and the adventure that we go on with the characters. It's not about like the characteristics as the the A storyline. Um that's such a that's such a cool experience because we're seeing the culture change. We're seeing the conversation around that start to evolve. So it's really cool to like be a part of the change that I want to see, you know. And as that, uh, I know this season you have directed an episode. And so what was that process like for you? I know you've directed in the past, but I think this is the first one for the show. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It's the uh, um, first one for high for me on Hightown. Um, it was it was really difficult, but everybody was so gracious and supportive during it. it it's hard to direct when I'm so heavy in the in the episode because there's so much to directing, especially in prep um, that needs to be given attention to. And then when I'm also in it, it's sort of like a split <laughs> split personality almost. So it was really wonderful to have that experience with actors like Badge and Riley and Atkins and just such a supportive cast who are professional because that makes all the difference in the world. If you can have people who really show up and be professional and be on their A game, that helps make you know my job as both the actor and the director a whole lot easier so that we can all make sure we're telling the same story. Ray tends to be manipulative in order to kind of get what he wants. He, it's kind of a, by any means necessary. And when we see him enter the relationship with Renee, there's something that kind of changes along the way where I think he thinks that he's in love with her, but given the power dynamic, it's like, can that really be love? And so do you feel that that is Ray's kind of genuine version of love for himself or is it, obsession and taboo and is he just messing with Frankie? I I think all those things can exist at the same time. You know, and and uh I, I think as an actor you don't want to shut anything out. You know what I mean? You want to be open to all these things because in the moment they can shift and they can change. And uh you know you you listen that you get different takes, you know, and uh uh you can give different versions and um you know, that's, that's part of the fun of it. You know, there, there are moments where I think Ray is honestly completely in love with Renee. And there's other moments where I go, you know what, now maybe this one's a little different. Now we play with this and you want that, that unknown 
gray area to exist somewhere. So the audience has that, that, that question that you're asking right now. So Jackie, she tends to put blinders on when it comes to the people that she trusts. Mm -hmm. And I think in her mind, she trusts a very small group of people. And so she's like, you know, I can have absolute trust. But because of that, she misses red flags. And we kind of saw a lot of that in season one with Junior. And the fact that he, you know, was kind of openly lying to her and completely involved. And she was just like not seeing it. Now, as she's joining the state troopers, her her kind of uh, field, her pool of people she trusts is kind of growing bigger. And we see her getting closer with Leslie and we see her working with Ray. Do you feel like that's something that's going to come back and bite her? Do we kind of see the ramifications of that or do we see her just becoming more vulnerable? Mm -hmm. Very thoughtful questions. <laughs> it's good. Um, yeah so so yeah so she her pool of people she trusts expands but what comes with that is the risk of getting hurt and she's finally leaping into it and leaning into the possibility of hurt and unfortunately it still hurts if it happens so what we see i think is how is she going to cope with pain now that she's not reaching for the bottle as the first way to cope with it um because of it i think she's definitely challenging herself to be to be more vulnerable. And I think with Ray actually is is a really great example of the, one of the people that she learns to trust. She finds herself in the season going to him and sort of he's he's magnetic and because because there's space to be vulnerable with him because he's also in this vulnerable space. So it's like we're both going to sit in the shit together. And and I feel like that's what makes that relationship so special. Um the vulnerability, you know, vulnerability is not a weakness, right? Vulnerability is a strength. And I think that she, like me, like I am learning, is is learning that, but because it's so uncomfortable, because it's so uncomfortable to sit with with our pain and with our trauma and and with that vulnerability, like she runs. That's what that's what the instinct is, to get away from it. So but now in season two, she's really trying to lean on her friendships for support. I really sometimes she's successful and, and sometimes she's not. I really like that because vulnerability is a strength, but it's also a risk. And we kind of have seen in the past how Jackie deals with risk <laughs> by right. jumping headfirst into it and then being like, oh, no, I forgot a helmet. Yeah. And so I'm kind of excited to see how that plays out in season two. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to try. She'll try to wear a seatbelt, but she'll still drive into the river. <laughs> <laughs> the show has a very wire-like quality to it, and I especially love bringing in the Charmaine of it all to kind of add an extra element of like, what are we going to do? <laughs> so, yeah, so I thank you guys so, so much for taking this time to talk with us about uh, this fantastic little show, and yeah, I wish you the best for season two. Thank you. Hello. How are you doing, Stacey? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Great, great. Well, good. Wonderful. I'm like, I see the, I see the cut, Atkins. Very nice. Very nice. We're <laughs> together. Know, I got to keep it crispy. <laughs> Very fresh. <laughs> well, I have to say, so this show is a lot of fun. And, um, and there are times that it is harrowing. <laughs> and there are times that it is maddening. And there are times that it's fantastic. 
Now, I know that season one shot well before the BLM protest of 2020, but I know season two kind of shot after. And so I want to know, were there any changes in the mood? Um, how did you feel uh, specifically you done about, you know, playing a black cop who, you know, is kind of who's willing to kind of play the game in this atmosphere, this post kind of BLM, BLM atmosphere? Mm -hmm. Well, I think ultimately all of this is uh, uh, something coming to a head that's been just under the surface anyway. So the fact that we see the manifestation of it isn't like something that happened in an instant, but something that's been going on. And so for him to be the only you know black officer on the force speaks to that. So it's uh, so sort of post the civil unrest that was going on uh, in 2020, it it more highlighted what was going on more than you know sort of exacerbated it. It just revealed what had been going on. And so uh, empathizing with uh, law enforcement and knowing how tough of a job it is, as well as unfortunately. As, as people say, the, you know, the bad apples and managing all that uh, becomes more and more difficult, obviously, with the community relations. So thinking about the reality of the job that officers are the front line of civility in our nation. And for that reason, we surrender a lot of power and a lot of uh, responsibility to them. Uh, sets a precursor and a pre prerequisite for the person and personalities that must fill that job. And so uh, similar to, to like fire department, right? The first thing on the application says you must have courage. You know, mm -hmm. you can't have courage because you're running into situations where everyone else is trying to escape. Similarly, uh, psychologically officers have to take on situations that they have, have to handle much differently than the average person. And so Alan having to deal with that is a continual thing for him from season one to season two. So if anything with that, um, highlighting what, what he's doing, he would hope to have some empathy and some support because now the, the dialogue about it has changed, meaning that it's no longer so this ambiguity that's going on, this is a reality. And so now that we, we can confirm this reality, how do we move forward? And so that's more so with Alan feeling like more uh, having uh, the wind you know, at his back a little more. Right. Well, it's a very interesting journey kind of watching him attempt to climb up, attempt to kind of be more improve himself and kind of having these different barriers in the way. So we'll uh, talk more about that in a second. But I wanted to uh, speak with you, Atkins, about Osito. He, I love that he is kind of enamored with the wire. He's enamored kind of with having, you know, a guy's got to have a code and um, especially as a gangster. Was that part of Osito's character originally? And how do you go about maintaining that balance in your performance between kind of being a gangster, but trying to have a code of ethics as a gangster? Yeah, that was definitely um, on the page from the jump. And that's one of the things that actually drew me to the character because, you know, for me, I feel like there's enough negative representation of, you know, black men in, in media. So uh, initially I was like, is that something I want to add on to? But realizing that he wasn't just the bad guy, that there was more to him than that, and that there was uh, a real person and not just, you know, a gangster. And that um, there's complexity to him, which is the reality for really the people who are out there doing it, you know, for a real drug dealer, it's like, 
you have a set of circumstances that bring you to any place in your life, whether you become the president or whether you become a cab driver. There's all these things that happen in your life that form who you're going to be, and you don't always have control over that. So I really feel like with Osito, you see that he's um, he's not just one thing, you know, and, and he very much surprises you many times. When you think you've got him pegged, then you understand exactly who his character is. So, um, yeah. Now, um, Don, I wanted to talk about Alan specifically. He's a sergeant now. He is kind of embroiled in this heavy drug case, but there's so many obstacles that get in the way. And a lot of them start with Ray and end with Abruzzo. <laughs> Going through season two, do we see Alan kind of come into his own? Um, do we see him, how do we see him kind of continue to struggle with these barriers that Ray's presence keeps putting up? Uh, yeah, he's he's having to continually put out fires. You know, most of the personalities around him are loose cannons and wild cards. <laughs> so he's learning to manage them in different ways. So whether that's um, uh, an informant or you know, uh, like I said, Ray or or anyone else that he has to interact with or or Cito, he's constantly being made to finesse. Uh, in a way, Alan can be a little two dimensional because he wants to make things very this or that, and in our world, things are mostly gray. And so if there's a sort of an Achilles heel, that's it for him, that he, he wants to make everything black and white, but unfortunately most things are gray. So he's you watching him juggle a lot uh, frequently and take on the stress of that because he's constantly sort of, you know, sweeping sand in the desert, if you will. Exactly. I, I really like that about him because it's just like, you just want a day to, you want him to have a good day, just one good day. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you can't quite eat that out. Um, so Atkins for Aceto, do you feel that mm -hmm. he is ultimately just out for himself? Or do you feel like he is someone that can be loyal, but maybe just loyal to a point? When it comes to Osito's priorities, what do you feel that they are? I think that um, definitely loyalty is important to him because, I mean, up until you know, the the end of season one, he was very loyal to Frankie. And, you know, there was a lot of, um, it was very difficult to make that decision to, to save Junior's life because that meant he had to cross Frankie and do something that, uh, or basically disobey an order, you know? So loyalty is very important to him, but also there is a too far for him. Um, but the situation that we find him in at, at the beginning of season two and throughout that season, he very much is in uh, I'm going it alone because he is. There's no he has nobody with him. So I think that um, he's just a survivor. So but um, definitely he will adapt to the situation. The loyalty is still there. But when it comes down to the end of the day, he's like, um, I'm going to be all right, you know. Well, I certainly am hoping that he gets the right round of antibiotics for that leg. <laughs> <laughs> and I certainly hope that Alan can get through a day without a migraine. We're, we're going to cross our fingers for that. I know it's going to be hard, though. <laughs> Look on that one, yeah. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you guys so much for taking this time to talk with me. I really appreciate it. And I'm really looking forward to season two. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. <laughs> you as well.
Hello. So nice to talk to you guys. Hello, hello. I love this show. It's so gritty and fun and dark and crazy. And um, you're the two of you together, Renee and Frankie, are beautiful together, but I have never rooted for a couple less. <laughs> I feel <laughs> that there are just so well, many. Thank you so much, Stacey. <laughs> anytime, anytime. I can see who you're rooting for now. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, you know, what's funny is like, I don't want her with Ray either. I want her with a resort oh, okay. in the Caribbean by herself, yes. self-healing, self-care, her and Frankie yes. Jr. <laughs> yes, that is what she deserves. Exactly. Tell Rebecca, that's, that's what's coming. I'll let her know, I'll let her know. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me what it's like creating that relationship. It's There's so many layers and it's like there's love, but then there's also possession and obsession and uh, da, 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 da. Tell me about bringing that together. Well, uh, I'm, okay, I'll, I'll say something. Um, listen, it all starts with on the page. I mean, Rebecca Cutter, it's, it's, I can't speak enough how amazing writer she is. She's created this world for, for us that uh, we get to be in it, we get to play in it. We're, we're just the puppets, you know, the puppets in her world. Uh, but yeah, you know, working with this amazing actress, this beautiful woman that I, I, get, I, get, to, I, I, I get to work every day with her. I'm, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm the envy of every actor in Hollywood. Um, you know, <laughs> we, 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 we have this chemistry that from day one, it's, it's very, you know, professional, but we have an amazing time not only on screen, but off screen. And I think it translates. It's, it has a lot of to do with how we are with each other. Um, it, it kills me sometimes when I'm treating her like, of course, you know how, because that's not who I am. She no. deserves the world, of course. But um, Maddie but is you know the what? kindest, like most opposite of Frankie in, in real life. So it is a contrast. <laughs> but I mean, working with, with you know, it, the relationship between us, it's really amazing. And, um, you know, all these circumstances we're, we're thrown at just even heightens the, uh, the, the situation. Yeah. And, and as much uh, like off screen, how we have the chemistry and we're super close and he pranks me all the time and he gets me every time, but um, we have a lot of fun, but as the characters too, I think, um, you know, there's some, you have to humanize it a little bit in the sense of, even though she is in this, this bad position, he is kind of all she really knows. And he, he really picked her up from a bad situation when she was young and so the idea of a life without him is is equally as scary as he is. Um, so she's kind of in that in between, you know. Well, that's why it kind of uh, runs into my problematic faves territory, where I'm like, you guys don't need to be together, but I love to watch it. Right. <laughs> it's just so nice. <laughs> so, um, Amari, I know you've primarily from Prison Break, and you know I've been kind of following the career for a while, and I was like, he plays a lot of convicts. <laughs> Tell me about what it is about those kind of roles that's enticing. Um, first of all, I guess I always joke about like what people say. Why do you always get to go in prison and pray comments, I go, it's got to be the face. Um, <laughs> it's such a nice <laughs> but you know what? It is well, thank you, Stacey. Um, I, I have to say they're intriguing to me. Um, I love playing characters that I, I would never be in life, God forbid, you know, my, they've not <laughs> three times. 
Um, you know, and I feel like villains have more fun. There are layers uh, that I get to peel and find. Um, and and I, I just find them fascinating. You know, when I was, my very first role was Prison Break, uh, playing a, a convict. And I, I got to do a lot of research and I went to some state prisons and my, my, high, my heart breaks because, and this is the part that as an actor, I like to bring to the table to all these characters, they're, they're all human. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're evil in a way, they're villains and they did their bad things, but there's somebody's son. There's somebody's sister or brother or, you know, they, nobody, they were not born saying, well, I'm gonna be a villain in, for the rest of my life. You know, circumstances were thrown at them and this is what the cards were, they were dealt. I'm not saying it's right, that's, you know, that's their route they took. Um, but having said that, I try to somewhat find the human in every single one of these roles and, and the reason why. I mean, like you said, you know, Frankie and, 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 and Renee, you know, she deserves better, but he's trying at, at, at the best of his capacity. He's trying, he thinks this is the best for her and what he can give her. And he can see him struggling with wanting to, you know, this is my woman and I want to make her happy, but, but of course I have to deal with other stuff and wanting to be a dad. So, you know, that's that's what fascinates me about this guy. You know, I try to play it. I mean, it's not your typical villain. Mm -hmm. He is, he could be anybody. He could be your best friend and you don't even know. I wanted to, so, you know, we're talking about, you know, Frankie does want to try and you can see that love, especially with Frank Jr. and with uh, Renee. But then we have the inclusion of Jorge <laughs> and he's kind of throwing a nice little wrench into things. Yeah. Um, Riley, okay. talk to me about how your character is affected by Jorge and how that kind of informs your character as we go through season two. Yeah, you know, I think uh, obviously Jorge and Renee are not the biggest fans of each other and they have a past. And I think, you know, Renee made this big decision. She's engaged. She's living the high class life and she feels like she's come this far and now someone else is coming in and she feels like, you know, she's the one who should be involved that her and Frankie should be the team. And then in comes Jorge and she doesn't like him being involved, especially over her, not to mention, I think he's constantly trying to uh, sow distrust between Renee and Frankie. Um, and he just brings a whole nother level of violence and chaos that, you know, isn't the life she thought she signed up for. Well, I am very excited. There is a, a big spoiler that we can't talk about yet, but I am very excited to see how everybody's going to react yes. <laughs> and all the fireworks that are going to go off because of it. So I appreciate you guys taking this time to talk with me about this show and I wish you the best for season two. Thank you Thank so Thank you much. so much, Stacey. Thank, Thank you. For the time. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. <laughs> the Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Spotify.